0: So again, uh, and if you guys have your Bibles, I invite you guys to turn to Mark chapter uh, 14. It's kind of where we're going to be starting off. And it's topical tonight because we're going to talk about the final hours of Jesus Christ. You know, what did he go through during those times? And and so we kind of think, like, have you ever put much thought into what Jesus went through in those last hours of his life? You know, many of us say, yeah, he was nailed to a cross. Yeah, he, he, he went through such agony and such... Suffering and such torment, but it kind of just rolls right over our head or, until we dive into it, man, and it causes us to almost weep. I mean, think about from the triumphal entry to, uh, to the crucifixion. As the king of all kings, the king of the universe, the king of, uh, of creation rode into Jerusalem humble on a donkey to the crucifixion where he had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. These were the last hours. Think about um, the prayers that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and think about the tears that he cried, and and think about the agony that he was in as he sweat great drops of blood, as he said, Father, not my will, but yours. If you can remove this cup from me, please do it, but not my will, but yours. Thinking about the Last Supper as as John leaned back on his chest, and, and he was surrounded by his friends, and knowing that somebody would betray him still, and... And think even of the crown of thorns as it was pressed on his head and each thorn dug deeper into his skull and great, great drops of blood fell down and those were the last hours of Christ. What precious hours, right? I think that he went through all of that for me, for you. And I want to point out tonight three major moments in the last hours of the life of Christ and, and starting here and, and, and with my first point, uh, with the... Uh, the the first major moment is in the last hours of Jesus's life. He was betrayed, right? So, reclining at a table eating the last Passover, Jesus declared in Mark chapter fourteen, verse eighteen, "Truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me." One who is eating with me. So, who is Jesus referring to? That's going to betray him, Judas, right? We've all heard the story enough, correct? So, let's read Mark chapter fourteen, verse forty-three through fifty, and let's get the the, the story spelled out here. So immediately, Mark uh, 14, 43. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. So Judas, the man who kept, uh, kept the money in the group, the man who spent those three years just walking and learning and growing with Jesus, this man, the one of the twelve disciples, it was him who betrayed the Lord. Judas saw Jesus with his very own eyes. What we wouldn't give to see Jesus with our own eyes, right? Amen. Amen. Judas saw the miracles. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw the feeding of the five thousand. He saw so much stuff. Uh, and, and even Judas, he preached. He was in full time ministry. He was sent out by Jesus, right? He ate with Jesus. He served with Jesus. How could someone who beheld Jesus in all of these ways turn around and deny Him? And the answer's hard, but the answer's real. The answer's true. Judas, one of the twelve disciples, betrayed Jesus with a kiss to fulfill the Old Testament Scriptures that foretold of Jesus being betrayed and dying the terrible death that He did. Let's, if you don't believe me, let me show you a few of them. Look at Psalm 41, nine. It should be on the screen here. Psalm one nine. Hey, Drew, next slide, please. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Sorry, Bubba. My bad. Please forgive me. Even, uh, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In Zechariah eleven twelve or through 13, I said to them, this is Zechariah eleven twelve or through 13, 11 verse 12 through 13, I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, "Throw it to the potter that magnificent price at which I was valued by them." And you'll see the correlation here pretty soon in just a moment. So I took the 30 sh- uh, shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And then verse 13 or 13 verse 7 Awake, O sword. You can go back. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate. Look at those capital letters. Declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little one. What did he say in verse 49? Every day I was with you in the temple uh, teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And then in verse 50, and they all left him and fled. He, they struck the shepherd, and all of the sheep had fled. So Judas betrayed Jesus. Listen for the exact amount of silver pieces that was prophesied by Zechariah, thirty pieces of silver. And guess what? That thirty pieces of silver was the wage for. It's the price of a slave in the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus twenty-one, verse thirty-two. If the ox gore—that is the wrong. Yeah. If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And then uh, and this is uh, Jesus betraying him, or Judas betraying Jesus for the, for the 30 pieces of silver. Then one in Matthew 20, 26, 14-15. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. So the king of kings, uh, it was sold for 30 measly pieces of silver. Jesus Christ sold as a slave in a sense, for 30 pieces of silver. And to be more detailed, Judas tried to even return the money in remorse, but never in repentance did he approach God and ask for forgiveness. If you remember Peter's response after he denied Jesus three times, what did he do? The scripture says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He had, remorse, he had repentance in his heart. He, he, he was convicted, and, and, he, and he asked the Lord to forgive him. He wept bitterly. Well, Judas never did. He had worldly sorrow. He went and tried to give the money back, Instead, Judas went out and hung himself, passing away the same way that he was born, lost and hell-bound. Let's look at Matthew 27, verses 1 through 10. This is him uh, betraying Jesus. Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. He felt remorse. Returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, Is it not lawful to put them in the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood? they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field. Do you remember that in Zechariah? As the burial place for strangers. For this reason that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. And they gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. All this had to take place. That's what Judas was born to do, guys. In fact, he's even called the son of perdition. He was filled by Satan himself. Someone had to betray Jesus. The scriptures foretold that someone would have to, and his name was Judas. Judas. Don't get this mixed up though, okay? Because God never made Judas sin. That's super important. God did not make Judas sin. Judas stole from the money box. He opened the door to Satan. You can find that elsewhere in scripture. He used to pilfer from the money box is what it said. He opened the door to sin, guys. This small sin leads to even more sin and to even more greed. And when the devil gets a foothold in your life, he's gonna take you further than you wanna go and he's gonna take you deeper into hell than you ever thought or could you ever have imagined. So the point of the matter is don't give... The- the devil a foothold in your life, amen. Yeah. One sin's gonna lead to a bigger sin and it's gonna lead to a bigger sin if you don't stop Come on. and repent. Yeah. After all those intimate years with Jesus, Judas handed him over to be nailed to a cross for thirty pieces of silver. Satan and the wickedness of Judas's heart caused him to betray the Savior. Caused him to betray his own master. But I want you guys to lean in real close. If I could, I'd grab your face and I'd pull you in. This didn't stop Jesus from loving on Judas. Amen? Jesus knew exactly who Judas was. He knew exactly who would betray him. In fact, nothing was created uh, that was created through him. It was all Jesus who created the whole entire world. He made Judas. He formed him in the inward parts. He is God. He knew exactly who Judas would be. He knew exactly the death that he would face because of Judas betraying him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus taught him. Jesus bent down, wrapped in a towel, and he washed his feet. He loved on him. He served him. He fed him. He didn't give up on him. He continued to tarry with Judas, right? He never stopped showing him grace. God makes it rain on the just and the unjust is what the scripture says. there 's a thing called common grace. hang out around hang out around us long enough we 'll get to that, and i 'll teach you guys about that. but we 've got to go back to our question, right? Why did Judas have to betray Christ? So if we look at Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, it 's an awesome example that I think. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, what is the present result? To preserve many people alive. What's the story happening behind all that in Genesis chapter 50? Well, it's about Joseph and and, and his brothers, right? So what did Joseph's brothers do to him? They bound him up. They threw him in a well, right? He was sold into slavery. He ended up in prison. But what what happened to Joseph? He rose through the ranks, right? He was pretty much a king, right? What was going? what else was going on? There was a huge famine going on. All of Israel's about to perish. They moved to Egypt. Guess who's there? Sitting almost on the throne. Joseph's there. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Once their father dies, they're scared that Joseph's gonna punish them, and this is what he says. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So that the lives of many people could be preserved. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ was doing, right? Even though Judas had betrayed Jesus Christ, what man had meant for evil, God intended for good, and he had to use it, amen? Because what did it do? Preserved many people, right? I'm a product of that. I can't speak for everybody in here, but I'm a product of that. Y'all are products of that, right? Had no one betrayed Jesus... Had such vile and wicked evil never been demonstrated, then the greatest display of love and mercy in all of uh, history would never have been able to be executed. Judas would have never betrayed Jesus. The salvation of many would never be accomplished. There would be no great exchange. So, this brings me to my second moment in Jesus' last hours. Um, It's uh, in in the last hours of Jesus' life, he was exchanged. So in other words, in the last hours of Jesus' life, he was convicted as a criminal while a criminal was released as innocent. You guys probably know who we're going to talk about, right? Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. <clears throat> now as the fe- now at the feast, he used to release, who is Pilate, right? He used to release from them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists, Who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up up the crowd to ask uh, to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him uh, whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged or whipped, he handed him over to be crucified. So in these last hours of Jesus' life, he stood before an angry crowd, and at the hands of Pilate he was delivered over to be crucified. Y'all been sentenced before, right? A lot of us have. Pete, you ever been you ever had to go to jail? Nope, didn't think so. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes when you get sentenced to prison, what happens? Well, your old heart just <clears throat> right? Drops. Sucks so, ain't nobody wants to go to prison. Ain't nobody want to get convicted guilty of a crime that they committed. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't commit the crime. He was perfectly innocent, right? And he got convicted. Think about the anguish that was going on in his heart. Yet he had perfect peace of knowing what was gonna happen, right? He knew, nobody else knew, but he knew same time, why was he sweating great drops of blood in the garden if he wasn't um, in anguish still yet? Listen to what Pilate says in Luke chapter 23, verse 13 through 15. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges that you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Perfectly innocent. Amen. Pilate saw that Jesus was innocent. He saw that there was no fault in him. But however, seeking to be a people pleaser, seeking to please the crowd, Pilate arranged that the innocent lamb of God be exchanged for a guilty, rebellious, and murdering criminal. Much like me. So in these final hours of the life of Christ, he was exchanged, taking the place of a criminal, while the murdering criminal was released as innocent, taking the place of Christ. And I'm going to say it like that a few more times so you guys to really understand it, what the great exchange was, what happened. But I want you guys also to kind of just wait a minute and slow up here with me. Recognize the beauty that's in the text here. Do you not see the, um, the illustration that could be made here? So to us who believe... We're the guilty Barbas, right? We're the murdering, rebellious, thieving, lying, murdering, insurrectionists named Barbas. This was us. But what happened? Jesus took our place, right? Amen. Now in terms, so this is the great exchange. Now in terms of the great exchange, I can't speak for everybody in here. Because I don't know where all of you guys stand with the Lord. Whether you're saved or not. Whether you've turned from your sins and confessed Jesus as Lord. Whether you produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit or not. I can't speak for everybody. But I can speak for me. And it's very personal. Jesus took my place that day. Amen? I want you to ask yourself this question. Did did Jesus take your place that day? Have you ever been exchanged in that great exchange? Is that true about you? Is that true in your life? Are you in the crowd shaking your hand? Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Who are you? The innocent Jesus was convicted as a guilty criminal while Barbus uh, was released as an innocent man. There it is again. A great exchange happened that day between Christ and Barbus. What was Barabbas became Christ and what was Christ became Barabbas. <laughs> So in the same manner, on the day that I was saved by God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, all my sin was laid on Christ. It was laid on Him, and all of His righteousness became mine, right? The innocence of Jesus is now mine. And I can stand before the Almighty Father in heaven, and He sees who? He sees His Son. He doesn't see me as a lost sinner. He sees His Son clothed in righteousness, right? Why? Because of the great exchange, right? Jesus took my place, being sentenced to death on the cross. Lord knows I should have been there. Should you have been there? Yes, you should have been. Lord knows that that was my cross. That wasn't his cross. should have been mine. Jesus didn't deserve to be condemned as a criminal and be sentenced to such an agonizing death, right? He deserved to be exalted. He deserved to be humiliated, right? Jesus didn't deserve to be betrayed. He didn't deserve to be denied. Jesus didn't deserve to be tortured. The hands of the wicked people uh, would have been my hands if, if I was there. The hands of these wicked people blindfolding the king of creation and hitting him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. Telling him to prophesy who hit him. They punched him. They slapped him. They chained him up. They led him around like a prisoner. They scourged him with a whip. With metal tips, they annihilated his flesh. They ripped massive holes in his body. Get the picture. It wasn't just some fluffy little whip. It had metal tips on it. Ripping his flesh apart. For who? For us. They mocked him. The king. The king. They mocked him. They twisted a crown of thorns on his head. They shoved it in place. They placed a purple robe over his shredded flesh. With reeds, they drove the crown of thorns deeper on his head every time they hit him. And they spat on him, and they spat on him some more. They bowed their knee in mockery to worship him and then ripped the purple robe from his mutilated flesh again. They laid a heavy wood beam on his back and they made him carry his own execution device to Calvary. They led Jesus to Golgotha they led Jesus to Calvary. He shouldn't have been there. That was my place. But I thank the Lord that He was there, that He did take that place for me right Amen. Thank you, Lord. And the third major moment in, in the life of Jesus was His crucifixion. So in the last hours of Jesus' life, nails were driven into His hands and into His feet. Stretched him out on a cross. They lifted him high in the air between two thieves. He was stretched out on a cross. They nailed his hands and his feet. They stretched him up. There's a hole dug in the ground. And what did they do? They lifted him up and then thud! He fell in place. Cross was in place. His death was certain. Right? He wasn't getting down off of there. Thud! Think about that. What happened on the cross for those six hours? For six hours, nailed to a cross, what happened? Mark fifteen thirty three through thirty nine. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which is translated, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, "Behold, he is calling for Elijah." Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing, who was a soldier, a Roman soldier, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last. He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pause for a minute and pray. I heard Jason Gunter say something along the lines of what a glorious thing it is that you would allow mere men to preach on such an amazing thing such as the crucifixion. Father, I pray as we enter into this and we see what your crucifixion accomplished, Lord, what you accomplished on that cross, that sacrifice, that atonement that was made, I pray, Father, that you would help us to really understand that, to hold it deep in our hearts, to treasure this not to forget this moment ever, Lord. Help me, Lord. It's in Christ's name, amen. So I kind of want to point out to you again, you know, like a good Baptist preacher, right? Three more major things that happened on the cross that day. You know, I got three points for three sub points and three more sub points on top of that. I'm just kidding. But I want to point, I really do, I want to point out three major things that happened on the cross that day. In verse 34, let's read that again. It's just so powerful. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama savachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Son is crying out to God the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you turned your back on me? Where are you, Lord? Where are you, God? Jesus is quoting Psalm twenty-two, one, and I don't have it on the board. I don't think, guys. He's quoting that. What's this mean, though? Why would Jesus cry this out? Why would the Father abandon His Son who's done no wrong? The only way the great exchange that I spoke of earlier that can take place is through this agony, is through this crucifixion, and through this death. The only way that 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 the righteousness of Christ can become ours, and ours can, and our sin can be laid on him is through that crucifixion. And by faith we receive that. It's the only way it can happen. It could only happen one way: Jesus had to die. You see, on that cross, Jesus is the substitute for sinners, and all the wrath of God, holy, mighty, perfect justice perfect God, judging sin, all of His wrath was poured out on His beloved Son who never did one wrong thing. So the only way. Jesus is the substitute for sinners. That we should have been there. He died in our place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Thank you, Lord. Say it again one more time for the people in the back, man. Thank you, Lord. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To glorify God first in his obedience to him, but also to make a way for sinful man to be saved where there was no way. He made a way where there was no way. He moved the mountains, and I can see you do it again, right? My wife pointed something out to me before uh, as we're driving through Washington State, through, through uh, Snow, uh, Snoqualmie Pass. These huge, massive mountains through the Cascade, you know, the Cascade Mountains. She said, we hear people say that all the time. Faith can move a mountain, right? We read it in the scriptures. You, if you have enough faith, you can say this mountain, move and it, it'll be cast out. She's like, do you realize how big that mountain is? Seriously, have you ever been to the foot of a mountain? And think about that, what he's saying there. That's the obstacle in our way. We can't move it. But God did. God moved that massive mountain through what? He bridged the gap. And it was through Jesus Christ, His sacrifice on the cross. He did the impossible. He did the impossible. He took on the wrath of God as an innocent and holy sacrifice. So of course, Christ cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." Of course He cried this. Because in this great exchange, God treated Christ as a sinner. God must judge sin and He satisfied that demand on the cross. This is where you get that big theological word, propitiation. Yeah. A holy God cannot look upon sin. Of course, Christ felt abandoned. God the Father is holy and perfect and just. He could not look at sin. Of course, Christ would cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." Of course, He would cry out, why did you forsake me? For all of, the, for all of us who believe our sin has been imputed to Christ. And His righteousness has been imputed to us. It's like marriage. Okay? What's mine becomes hers. And what's hers becomes mine. Literally, anything that she had became mine. And everything that I had became hers. That includes my lawyer bills that the IRS was taking our money from. Right? I didn't know I had. We was getting a tax return back and somehow $500 came missing. Well, why, what happened? Well... It was the public, the public defenders, man. So what's mine became hers and what hers became mine. And in the same sense, I say that jokingly to try to lighten the mood. But in the same sense, that's literally what was going on. I'm going to say it one more time so you can get it. What was mine? My sin. My ultimate death, right? Because um, the wages of sin is what? Death. death, right? What was mine became his. And what was his became mine. The righteousness of God, Right. The righteousness of God in who? In Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on now. Let's look at the second magnificent thing that happened on that cross in verse 38. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, the veil in the temple, what is that? It's this massive curtain. Uh, I don't, this massive curtain between the holies of holies, the place where the high priest would go once a year to make atonement for the sins of all of Israel. It's this massive curtain that separated that holy of holies place from everything else in the temple. This massive curtain where only the high priest could go to meet with who to meet with God. It was the it was the 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 meeting place of God. It was the place where God's glory would show up. It was the place where only the high priest could enter, and only by what? Only by a sacrifice. And think about how it was torn. It was torn from what? From top to bottom. Who tore that? Who tore that curtain, guys? God, God tore that tur- that curtain. It wasn't man parting the curtain from the bottom and walking in. It was God parting the the, the curtain from the top to the bottom. It tore it in two. And what's that show? It shows that God made the way. It shows that God is now accessible through Jesus Christ, our mediator, and He's the only mediator. Okay. He's the perfect sacrifice that's needed to get into the holy place. And he's also the high priest that offers the sacrifice to be able to meet with God. He is our only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. That's what the scripture says. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. It had to happen that way. Amen? And the third thing is the centurion, the Roman soldier. Look in verse 39. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, "Say it with me. Truly this man was the Son of God." Think about that, standing there at the foot of that cross. Some translation or some um, of the gospels talk about there being earthquakes, the dead raising, all these magnificent things, the, the curtain being torn in two, the darkness. Christ crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why'd you forsake me? All of these things happening. And what's this Roman soldier say? Surely he is the son of God. What have I done? So tradition actually tells us that that Roman soldier was saved. He did become a believer. Tradition does. So I have to ask you this question. What is your response to seeing Jesus on this cross? Put yourself there. Put yourself in that Roman soldier's shoes. You pretty much just put Him on the cross. You're standing there at the foot of the cross. He breathes His last. There's earthquakes. There's thunder. There's, light, there's, there's no light. The sky is dark. What's your response? What's your response to what you have seen and heard today about the innocent Son of God? What's your response to uh, what you have seen and heard today of the innocent Son of God hanging on the cross, bearing the guilt of sin and death, taking the place of all who would ever believe? What is your response? What is your response? Are you in the crowd still crying, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him? (coughs) Are you saying truly this was the Son of God? It's not over till it's over though, right? It's not over till it's over, right? It's not over until it's over because what they do with Jesus' body, they took Him off the cross, they put Him in a borrowed tomb, and what happened after three days? Where would He come from? He got up and he walked out of that grave. He rolled back the stone and he walked out because Jesus is alive. He is risen, amen? It's not over till it's over, right? That was Friday. Sunday, yeah, yeah, I love that thing, man. Sunday early in the morning certain women went to anoint Jesus' body and they found that he was resurrected. He rose again. The stone had rolled away. He was alive. He appeared to his disciples, right? So if I go to do something, if I say, if I say I can jump over this building, and ain't none of you guys would believe me unless you saw me do it, right? You guys believe I can jump over this building? No. no. But if I took you and you and you and you and you outside and I jumped over the building, I have witnesses, right, that can prove my testimony. What did Jesus do? He got up out of the grave and he went and seen people. He went and seen his disciples. He appeared to many others. There was a testimony. They saw the real resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. What did Thomas do? Thomas put his finger in his side. He touched his nail pierced hands. He said, you've got to show me your hands. Think about that. He stuck his finger in his side. He's alive. He's got flesh. A glorified body. What's your response to the fact that Jesus fulfilled countless prophecies in His coming life, death, and resurrection? I want to name off a few of them, okay? He's the seed of Judah depicted in Genesis 49.10. He's the great I Am depicted in Exodus 3. His blood was the atonement depicted in Leviticus 17.11. He was lifted up like the serpent on the po- serpent on the pole in numbers 21. He was the curse that hung on a tree depicted in Deuteronomy 21:23. He is the captain of our salvation in Joshua 5:14. Our kinsman redeemer in Ruth 4. Our faithful priest in 1st Samuel 2:35. David's seed in 2nd Samuel 7:12. He owns the pierced hands and feet of Psalm 22:16. It was his clothes that they cast lots for in Psalm 22:18. He covered the agony, he suffered the agony of the cross in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen 14 through 15. He rose from the dead as declared in Psalm 16, 9 through 11. He was the virgin born in Isaiah 7, 14. He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind in Isaiah 42, 7. Amen. That's just a few of them. Do you get the point now? There's over 350 that he's, that he's fulfilled, and he's still fulfilling them today. Tell me he's not real. He is real. He did die. He is risen and He is alive. What's your response? We're all made in the image of God. We all have dignity. We all have worth. We all have value. Even apart from Christ. However, we are also sinners from birth, rejecting God and betraying Jesus in our own sin until the day of our salvation. We're much like Judas. And in our sins, we betray Jesus with a kiss. We nail Him to the cross. We're much like Judas betraying the very God who created us in His image. Jesus knows our fallen state. it doesn't stop Him from showing us all grace and mercy and drawing us to Him through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't stop Him from showing us grace and mercy just as He showed Judas grace and mercy those three years. Just as He said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus is in the business of forgiveness. He's in the business of reconciliation. So I implore you today, guys, to be reconciled to God. Lay it all down, dude. Whatever it is that you're hanging on to, lay it down, homie. Lay it down. Test yourselves. Are you a wolf in sheep's clothing? Are you a self-deceived Judas? Are you sitting in this room as a fraud? Really examine yourself. Ask yourselves, where am I at in the crowd, Jesus? Jesus. Am I taking the place of Barbas? Or am I in the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify? Am I the centurion saying, this truly is the son of God? Or are you are the Pharisees over here off the side of the hill shouting, we've done a good thing. I'm glad we killed him. What's your response? Are you saying to others uh, that you're a Christian, yet you steal from God just as Judas stole from the money box? When no one was looking. Be careful and don't open up uh, the door to sin like Judas did. Don't betray Jesus with a kiss tonight. Don't leave here doing that. Turn from your sins. Believe in the risen King Jesus Christ. Experience the great exchange that I talked about. Where yours becomes His and His becomes yours. Know what forgiveness and freedom and reconciliation is like.